0: Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking. Another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there. But if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on everyone, it's me, your boy Noah Petrie, this is R6MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, and this is episode 24. Guys, if I'm low energy today is because one is late at night and two, dude, it took me an hour and some change in technical difficulties with this freaking podcast, my god. It was just an issue after an issue, I had one issue where the track was all fucked up, so I had to go back, start everything anew, Started everything anew, and things were even worse, so I had to exit back out. Once I exit back out, things appeared to be fine. And then I had to mess with the levels a little bit to make sure everything was, was accurate and good to go. So, guys, it's just, it was literally one issue after another. So, if I'm low energy, it's literally, it just drained me because of that. But I'm still here for you guys. Again, this is episode 24. Now, of course, as you guys may know, we didn't have any... We didn't have any fights last this past weekend. So I'm just going to be going over all the MMA news slash drama that went down. And of course, the fights are going to be happening this weekend. And my uh, my hot take for the week. So let's not waste any freaking time, guys. Let's jump into it. So we have Shemayev gets his passport revoked by the by the Russian government. Now, as you know, if everything that's happening in, uh, in Russia right now, they, they mandated a, a huge draft. Um, that basically stems for anyone, I believe, with prior military experience, or so there's people who are literally fleeing Russia, by the thousands, hordes of, of, of you know able-bodied Russian men who are in that that age range who are you know drafted to fight. They are fleeing because they don't want to be part of this war. Um, so not necessarily saying that they're gonna you know throw Shamayev into the front lines. That really wouldn't make any sense because he is ambassador of the com- He is ambassador of that region. Um, of the country and you know having someone who is uh you know who is so beloved by the by an entire ma community and entire sport and someone who has you know so much potential to throw him into a nonsense war just wouldn't really make any sense um but uh i highly doubt that is the case now his 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 coaches went on to say that it wasn't revoked and he could leave any time so I, I, I'm not, not necessarily calling this coach as a liar, but you know, until there's actual proof that he can or he's able to leave and he's able to go um, fairly soon, then we don't know what's happening right now. So hopefully he doesn't get drafted into a war, but I really doubt that's the case. He went to Russia just to visit some family um, who were there, and it seems like they might have revoked his passport for whatever reason. Then we have 1FC is hemorrhaging money and is not profitable so this is actually not a new one guys everyone know for a while now that when fc was kind of hemorrhaging money a little bit they were constantly saying since 2017 i believe that they're going to be profitable they're going to be profitable they're going to be profitable year after year and so far it hasn't done so i think they moved their accounts to the cayman Islands, which is usually a red flag in regards to uh to a company's profitability because of the Cayman Islands having um, a lot of tax benefits in, in that regard if you move your headquarters there. So it doesn't look good for 1FC, which I'm kind of shocked to be honest with you because they're, they're, they're the biggest dominating force within that Asian market. So I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if you know possibly the UFC or Ryzen will absorb them if they go under or somehow they'll stay afloat. How necessarily is Chantry doing this right now? I think he's just milking angel investors to the very, very t, to everything they have left. So it's interesting to see that even though it seems like on face value, on the surface, that they're having so much success, that that is definitely not the case at all. Then we have Sean versus Lee fight card, and they basically what uh what um what one FC did. Was they released the criteria and score system for their product? So Angela Lee was saying how you know she won that she won that fight and how the scoring system should be changed and how it should be the American-based scoring system. Here's the issue with that: even if there was the American-based the American-based scoring system, you still would have lost because one, the first round was a, t- a clear 10-8 round, and I, I I had her losing the third and the fifth so you still would have lost at best um yang Shanan. i mean you say i said yang Shonan, excuse me Zhang. she definitely won the first that's for damn sure and it was clearly a 10-8 round and she definitely won the fifth that's two that are really undisputed in that regard so even if it was a 10-8 and a 10-9 she won the other three a bare minimum would have been a draw that's the best you would have gotten um, I think even in the American base scoring system where they judge damage over everything the same way they do in, in 1FC scoring system. I don't think she would have won the fight either way. So uh, she had a very good performance. It was a very good fight. But I don't think she won the fight personally if you look at the 1FC scoring system or the American base scoring system. But the reason why I want to go over this is because the, the 1FC scoring system is actually really, really good. Let me pull up a picture of a Georgia scorecard and kind of break it down for you guys. It sucks that I don't have the visuals for you guys so that I can pull it up on the screen so you can see how it's structured itself. But I'm going to do my my damn best job trying to break it down for you guys as much as humanly possible. So I am okay. So I have it pulled up here. This is one judges judges scorecard Jeremy Saunders. And basically this is how it looks you have criteria to priority. Number 1, rear naked choke submissions, number 2 damage, 3 striking 3 the 3.1 is striking, 3.3 3 is ground, 4 is takedown, 5 is aggression. So I'm guessing it goes within that order. So who who uh what's most important to what's least important. I kind of agree with that order to be honest with you. Um, near KO submissions being number one because you're literally almost in the fight ending sequence. Damage, striking, ground, takedown, and aggression. I I don't know if you can put takedowns in at number four, but then again, they kind of judge grappling differently as well for the fact that grappling defense counts as points. So if someone's shooting for you know 20 takedowns. And 20 of them got stuffed, the grappling, the grappling and takedowns are gonna go towards a guy who stuffed on the takedowns because a guy who tried to initiate takedowns wasn't able to get anything. So I like the fact that they kind of uh, judge scoring in a defensive mindset, which is not the case in America at all, actually. So let me let me read off how it's centered. So how they how they did this is by so, they have the red side, the blue side, and even. So, if it's an even draw within that, that round, and they don't know, you know, or is it even draw from the fight because they don't judge anything based on rounds. They judge it off the entire fight. If it's an even draw based on the round, then they, it could be even. So, if, if the striking was relatively even, um, numbers-wise and damage-wise, they know have it even in that regard. But they have red, so who is in the red corner, who is in the blue corner, who is even. That's cut, that's the middle there. To the right hand, to the far right we have the degree of advantage. So you can do damage to the, the red corner, which is Xiong, and the degree of advantage, which would be slight, moderate or dominant. So if she was clearly dominating landing all the the big, you know, shots, then she would have got moderate. Or she would get the dominant if it was very competitive if it was slight then they'll give it slight um so that's kind of their their judging system and of course you do it off the entire fight not just the the round by round itself but here's the thing i kind of like i like the scoring system i think the 10a system is kind of it, it could be confusing for a lot of people and it's hard to adopt into mma we did the best we could but at the end of the day it's a it's a it's a a judging skill, uh judging system that was devised for boxing was never devised for MMA. They kind of fitted it into MMA the best way that they could, which they didn't do a bad job at it, but I think this should is more centered towards MMA. And on top of that, we can really see the judge's mindset in scoring. For instance, I'm looking at Jeremy Saunders' mindset in judging this fight. So he gave near KO and submissions to the red corner, moderate. I agree. Shong did have near KO, and in, uh, not near submissions, but she did have a few fight-ending sequences, especially in the first round. Damage, red, moderate, shong. I agree. Striking, red, moderate, shong. I agree. Ground, she, he gave to the blue, slight. I would have gave ground, moderate to the blue. Um, Takedown, blue, slight. And then aggression was even, which I, I agree. Aggression was even. So there you tally up who won the categories, and how much did they win the categories by. And from there, you can determine the winner. So that's how he got Zhang as the winner. So I agree with the scoring system. I like the scoring system. I, I, Since we're not able to interview judges or they're, they're, the, the, the Athletic State Commissions are very much against judges being interviewed or questioned for anything, um, if they give a scorecard or whatever the case may be. So I think that since that system is in place, this is very good for us to see what the judge what judges are actually judging. What's their mindset behind judging? Since we can't actually talk to them or interview them if they give a bad decision or wherever the case may be. So I think this is a this is a pretty cool way of seeing what the judges are looking at, how they're scoring a the fight. And I think honestly it makes sense. There's a few things I would change here. Um I personally like the round-by-round scoring. So I would utilize this in a round-by-round scoring. I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, but I think this is overall a very good system. Maybe we should adopt it into the UFC and into America itself. It's really not a hard system to understand. It's pretty simple. I think this is even more simpler than the uh, than a 10 a must system. Now, I'm sorry guys if I botched the explanation in one championship breakdown of their judging criteria. Um, again, it would be so much easier if I had a visual for you guys so you could just see it, and there I can break it down for you so you can understand it better. So I did my best in that regard to to break it down as much as I can just over audio. But all in all, I would say I'm a fan of Just Judging System, and I think we should adopt it in America. Then, Juliana Pena wants a trilogy of Amanda Nunes. She says, that's the fight to make. Um, and that she'll win this one come around. And honestly, guys, I'm not necessarily opposed to it for the simple fact that there's really no one else that's a, a clear challenger in that division. Um, I don't really see anyone else as a clear challenger in that division as of yet. The fight was entertaining, even though it was very one sided by Amanda, and I think if they fought again to be very one sided by Amanda again. The reason why I think someone wouldn't give it is because of the fact that. Um, Julian Peña had such a bad outing that second time, but if the UFC won run the running back a third time, uh, I I, I, don't, I don't, I really wouldn't mind. I really wouldn't mind just for the simple fact that there's no one else in the division. When it comes to someone who gets beat badly, like if they were a former champion and they get beat badly, um, Usually, I'm not into giving immediate title shots for the fact that you got beat pretty badly, so why are we doing this? If it was very close and contested, then I understand, but if it was a clear victor, then I'm really not into it, especially when you have multiple people who, are, who could fight for the title at any given moment. Um, but we don't have that in this division as of now. So since we don't have that, then that's why I'm really not opposed to it. Then Michael Basically thinks that Mark Zuckerberg being a fan of UFC will be only good for MMA. And of course for the UFC. And I don't I understand his point of view in this, in that he said he thinks that, you know, since he's such a a well known figure, and him being someone who's not necessarily, you know, super manly, super macho, someone who is on the tech side. Having that kind of audience come into MMA and start viewing MMA and get overall more viewership, and maybe since he's such a fan of UFC, he would, you know, mess with the algorithm on Facebook or Meta, wherever he's calling it nowadays, and kind of, you know, bolster the UFC so more people can have more eyes on it. So I understand his point of view in that regard. In that case, bottom dollar rise and people just overall watching MMA, he could do good for mma in that sense but when you really look at everything that he's done you know with facebook creating um such a a divide in this country as it is and and some of the other shit that that he's pulled do we really want someone like him in mma do we really want that you know just because someone is famous um or rich doesn't mean that we should sell should should be celebrating them you know as fans and parading them around um you know, the, the UFC kinda used to do that back in the day with like the celebrities and having them, you know, come to giving them free tickets is to have them come to an events and, you know, showcasing them on, on the big screen and they got that kind of shit. So, you know, I, I don't think that every every single person who's a celebrity should be paraded around just because they're a fan of the sport. Now what he did will he do good in the sport as far as viewership wise? I think he would, driving more people to the sport. But all in all, with his character and everything that he's done up until this point, I wouldn't say is necessarily good. That he's a uh, he's a fan of MMA, or that it would only do good. Then we have Eddie Alvarez says that fighters fail to explore free agency or kill themselves. As you may know, Eddie Alvarez, the underground king, he's the king of literally going from promotion to promotion to where the money is. He he really didn't care, you know where the best fighters in the world were or anything like that. He pursued the money. He pursued the money. He's one of those fighters that are so good of his money. He has multiple investments, whether it be through crypto, through stocks, through real estate. He's very good at his finances. Every single contract he you know, he, he went promotion-wise from one to the other was an upgrade from the last one. Um, the dude has like fucking 90 kids. Uh, so... I would say if it comes to financial advice, if there's someone, if you're a fighter, and if someone that you want to take career advice from in regards of finances, Eddie Alvarez is that guy you should 100% take his advice from. Guys like Nate Diaz, guys like Mike Perry who didn't pay their taxes, they, they're not the best to take advice from, or even Kevin Holland who spends his money as soon as he gets it. Those guys are not the best at, you know, at, to, to take advice from in regards to finances. Someone like Eddie Alvarez is someone you 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 should take advice from in regards to finance and contracts. But he's 100% right, man. Like, don't get me wrong, it doesn't sometimes it doesn't make sense to leave. For instance, John Jones, he's in a very rare predicament that he's not going to get paid better anywhere else aside of the UFC. Literally, if he goes to Bellator, if he goes to ONE, if he goes to Ryzen, no one's going to pay him better than the UFC. The same thing with Francis Nagano, no one's going to pay him better than UFC. Same thing with style better. no one will pay him better than UFC. Same thing with, uh, with Conor McGregor, no one will pay him better than UFC. So in those instances in that regard, it, it, it doesn't make sense. For those guys, it really doesn't make sense because they're already in the, you know, the biggest organization in town and the organization is going to pay them the most. But for you know the, the the common fighter or the fighter who is not of up that upper echelon, you know either money making or you know championship reign wise or champion wise, it makes sense to test free agency. Like Corey Anderson, for example, who's making more money at Bellator than he ever made in UFC, and he's a he you know was beating the champs ass up until the cut happened. Um, so. It makes sense, especially, like, you know, and we see this a lot more nowadays. Like Shane Burgos going to PFL, um, Aspen Ladd going to PFL, and just fighters bouncing around from Bellator to PFL to other promotions as well. So the one championship, Demetrius Johnson going there, him saying he made more money there than he made in UFC. So it it really pays to keep your options open and just to bounce around. But for everyone, is that the case that it's the, the right move? No, definitely not. Now, DC says to Luke Rockhold that he should do ADCC or grappling, or jiu-jitsu tournaments. He should not do MMA. He should just stay retired. And I agree, man. I 100% agree. Luke Rockhold, he did everything he needed to do in this sport. There's really not much for him. Um, He became champion, he was strike force champion, UFC champion. Um, You know, it, it, uh, his, I don't think he's going to be able to, to get in, inside a title picture again. You know, his chin was pretty suspect up until the Costa fight, which I think he did extremely well. And he was able to take a lot of big shots. Granted, I didn't like his reactions to some of those shots that he was taking. But he was able to take a lot of big shots. His cardio seemed very, very bad. Um, maybe that's just because the altitude and someone who hasn't fought in so long now fighting at such a high altitude Colorado can really fuck with you in that regard. But all in all, I think that I think he should just stay retired, man. I think he should just stay retired. I think there's no reason for him to come back. He, he did everything he needed to do in MMA. I think maybe if he wants to come back and fight, he could do fun fights like the Costa Fight or other you know big names at at 185 or, or 205. But should he be fighting? Probably not. I, th- I think his, his time has come in that. Uh, and he should maybe just stay retired, man. And that's the issue with a lot of fires nowadays. They don't know when to retire. They want. They don't know when to go out um, on their terms. They really just go out on their shield, which it's a bad trend. Now, there are a lot of fighters who did go out on top, like GSP, like Khabib, and a couple other fighters who uh, who knew when to call it quits at a good time. But for most fighters, they just keep lingering around until the UFC has no use for them. Now we have Justin Gaethje saying that if Dustin beats Chandler, then the rematch is should be next between Gaethje and uh, and Dustin Poirier. And I 100% agree. That fight was fucking phenomenal at 155. And it will be a completely different fight this time around. I don't know if it will be as entertaining. The first one was just brutal. And I'm surprised that Dustin Poirier was able to take that many leg kicks. Um, and was able to put... Justin Gaethje away at the very end, but I it will be a completely different fight that second time around. Gaethje is a different fighter, Poirier's is a different fighter. It will still be very entertaining, but I don't think it would be that that kind of war that we saw in the first time around. But I do like that. I do like these type of fights where you know Gaethje has gotten two title shots, Poirier has gotten two title shots. There are guys that you know. Uh, from the looks of it, from their career as of right now, they probably will never win that title, unfortunately. So just putting up against each other, making fan-friendly fights, making fights that they could both profit over, I think that's definitely the right move. So regardless, I think Gaethje should fight the winner of Chandler or Poirier, whether it's Chandler or whether it's Poirier. I think that should definitely definitely happen right after. Now, Cejudo says that Massa will be a good comeback fight for Conor McGregor. And, dude, I've been freaking saying this for forever now. I've been saying this for a while. Literally for a while. I've been saying this for a very long time. For years. Ever since the injury. Um, or maybe even before the injury. I've been saying that Maswell is a good comeback fight for Connor. Connor wants to stay at 170. He doesn't want to cut the weight to 155. Get, giving him a grappler is bad. Um, you know, Maswell is primarily a striker, he's older in the tooth. He's someone that if you get a win off him is still fairly respectable. Well, maybe not as of now than it was back then where I was saying it. But even so, it's still respectable. He talks a big game too. He's a big trash talker. It'll be exciting, fun fight. Everyone will tune into it. Even though it's not necessarily a champion or a number one contender. It's still a big name. It's still a big draw. It'll still make you a lot of money. So I agree, man. I think this fight should most definitely happen. That should be Connor's next fight. Even though the fight really doesn't mean anything for both men. It's still a very entertaining fight. You can easily put on pay-per-view and it will fucking sell. A million plus pay-per-views. Easily it will sell a million plus pay-per-views. And regardless of whoever wins or loses, both men need a win right now anyway. Both men are coming from coming off really bad losses. So why not? I think it makes sense. And Cejudo is right here. Shop says that Prime Silva... Prime Tim Sylvia, excuse me, could have posed problems for current heavyweight division. And I disagree. I very much disagree. Now, the sad part about Tim Sylvia is that he he never got the respect he kind of deserved. You know, he got shit his whole career. Like, he went into, I think, Pat Miller's gym. And, you know, uh, Matt Hughes was, a, was a, a... lot of people will, be, you know, love Matthews since the train accident. Matthews Hughes was a huge dick. Matthews was an asshole for all of his MMA career. Like, all the, newer, all the new fighters would go into, you know, Pat Miller's gym. He would just beat the ever-loving shit out of him. Kind of haze him and bully him. And he did that with Tim Sylvia. Like he would make Tim Sylvia cry every single day in training, just to do it because he was an asshole. Um, and Tim Sylvia just stuck around and eventually became champion. But it sucks that you know, even when he was champion, the UFC was shit on him because it was kind of the dark ages of the heavyweight division. There really wasn't much happening in heavyweight during that time. Um, the Pride most definitely had the best heavyweight division in the world at that time. UFC wasn't doing too good. And not just in heavyweight, but in their promotion at all. Um, during this era, which was the Tim Sylvia era when he reigned as heavyweight champion, so it sucks that he never really got the flowers he deserved in that regard. Um, people just just shat on him for most of his career, man. For most of his career. Um, but do I think he'll pose a threat in the current heavyweight division? No, I think the the current heavyweights are too well rounded. Their striking is, is far better. Do I think he could have some success with guys like maybe like Tui Vasa and guys in the lower end? Um, yeah, I think so. But when you talk about, you know, Sylvia against Francis Naganu or John Jones or Stipe or Gon or Curtis Blades or those guys, I think he wouldn't stand a chance. Just over, just when you look at you know where he was in his career and compares to the fighters now. And heavyweight is that division where there's really not much... To, to, when it comes to heavyweight, the slowest development MMA happens at heavyweight. Because those guys are so big and those fights can end in, in really, literally one punch. It comes down to whoever throws the right punch first at heavyweight most, most times. So... A lot of the the development happens slower at heavyweight than you would have in the lighter divisions. But that being said, it's still the heavyweights of now, compared to Tim Sylvia's era, are leagues above. You know, so I do think he would have some success on a on you know lower end of that division. But when you look at the upper echelon of that division, I don't think he he stood a chance. And now we have. The hot takes portion of the podcast. This episode is not going to be very long, guys. This episode is going to be at most 35 40 minutes, you know, because we had no fights. We had no fights last week. I know I'm giving you two short episodes back to back, unfortunately. I try to jam pack it with MMA news slash drama as much as possible. But my hot take for the week are Are PEDs good for MMA? Now, before you have that classic. You know Reagan take of everything where drugs are bad and everything related to drugs are bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's really think about this question here: Are drugs at, at PDS? Excuse me, are P the cocaine and crack would be bad for MMA? So let me rephrase that: Are PDS for MMA bad? Now, I think it depends. I don't think there's no necessarily clear answer. In on uh, that regard, I think, for the most part, I think entertainment value, no. I think in regards to entertainment value, you can argue that PDAs are actually good for MMA. Bare minimum, entertainment-wise, wouldn't change at all for the casual viewing fan. Or even for the hardcore fan. Um, now, would it be tainted? Yes. Because when you look at all the major sports as of now, they claim that they don't cheat and they don't use drugs. Listen, a lot of the biggest baseball players use drug, uh, use PEDs. A lot a lot of the biggest football players use PEDs. A lot of the biggest basketball stars use PEDs. So they claim that it's drug-free, but in reality, they're using. Right? They're using. Um, but it's just not open about it. You know, they, they do some testing um with uh with these stars Yeah, it's, it's testing they can get a w- oh they get this testing they could get a round of if they really round uh, get around if they really really wanted to but they still do some form of testing and the basically the organizations are pounding that you know they're 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 ped free it's their word free so would it? Be it what, what would it be as successful or would people still like it if they were blatantly saying, yo, everyone's using, we don't test, who cares, let's play ball, you know, <laughs> you know? um, maybe, maybe not. Because when you look at the whole baseball association, right, the steroider in the 90s, People, motherfuckers are hitting home runs left and right, left and right, left and right. It was the most exciting era in arguably baseball history. You know, you had three guys trying to get the the home run title um, for most home runs ever. So, you know, it was a very exciting time for a boring-ass sport in baseball. Do people, you know, suspected that they were using? Probably, but no one really talked about it. So imagine it being out in the open. Once everyone found out and it was out in the open, the public were outraged. People were literally boycotting games. People, like stadiums for a while were empty of fans because they didn't. They were tired of cheating, and, and, and in that regard. So I don't think the same would happen to MMA. That fans would just leave the stadiums and leave the events because people are taking PEDs. I don't think that necessarily would happen. But I do think that just being out and open about it in American culture and society and the view, the mindset of, you know, the freaking drug war in the 80s have given us that all drugs are bad and shouldn't be used at all. I think that would hinder MMA. I really think that would hinder the view of MMA from the casual standpoint and from a societal standpoint. Uh, Because listen, here's the thing we already had such a bad rap for so long. As it is, you know, back in the early in the early days of MMA, the UFC really highlight, you know, fighters who had degree, like Chuck Liddell who had a master's in engineering, or Rich Franklin who was a teacher, a math teacher, or you know, people who actually had backgrounds outside of being a cage fighter, and just show people that we're not just a bunch of white dudes who fight at bars, you know, they wanted to show themselves in a the better light. And I think that if you had PEDs just out in the open, blatantly used, and just flaunted it, I think it would make MMA look bad. I think it will make MMA look bad. I think people are okay with, you know, it being thrown under the rug. Everyone knows about it, but it's kind of, you know, pushed under the rug. Then, you know, the UFC or MMA just being out in the open, yo, everyone here uses, who gives a fuck? So do I think that overall product-wise, entertainment value-wise, would it hinder MMA? No. But I think image-wise, would it affect MMA? Yes. So that's why I say it really, really, really depends on which viewpoint you're viewing the, the topic here. But personally, here's my stance on PEDs. For PEDs, it's either... If everyone's using, if everyone's juiced to the tits, juiced to the dick, and everyone's shooting up, then I'm fine with it because everyone's shooting up. So it's a completely even playing ground for everyone. If we have rules and regulations in place that makes that illegal and penalize fighters for, 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 uh, for taking PEDs and everyone's supposed to be clean and then someone cheats in that regard, then I have a problem with it. Because now they have an unfair advantage over their opponent. But if everyone's doing it and they do it, I don't care because everyone else is doing it. So I just want an even playing field. That's all. So if everyone's allowed to shoot up, if everyone's allowed to take PEDs, then I'm cool with it because it's an even playing field for everyone. If no one's allowed, then I'm cool with it because it's an even playing field for everyone. So that's kind of my stance on PEDs. Um, I'm I'm not like, you know, if... When Dillashaw did EPO, right? Technically, he didn't take a steroid or perform enhancing drug. Um, he, he, he used it to cut weight. But either way, if when Dillashaw, for example, did EPO, did I have an issue that, oh my God, you know, he, he I didn't have the viewpoint of, yo, he cheated. He used a drug. That's bad. Drugs are bad. Fuck this guy. That wasn't my mindset. My mindset was he cheated, he gave himself an unfair advantage over his opponents, fuck that guy. I don't care what drug he used, I don't uh, don't care about the drug aspect at all. I cared about the unfair advantage that he gave himself using the drug. I didn't care necessarily that he used the drug or that drugs are bad. I cared that he gave himself an unfair advantage. So that's kind of my mindset in regards to PD usage in MMA or just in general. We're all doing it cool. If no one's doing it cool, let's just keep it that way and make sure everything is even. Now, I want to get into the fights next week. This portion is the Petri predictions portion of the podcast. And first, I want to go with Grosso against Arroyo. And Grosso, I think, opens up at a 250 favorite. I think, rightfully so. I think Grosso overall has fought better competition. I believe her only losses are to Carla Esparza, who is a champion, and Tatiana Suarez, who is a female Khabib, who honestly could have been champion if she would have you know, continue fighting and not have so many injuries that set her back. So those are the only two people that have beaten Grosso. I think I'm, I'm missing one more, but I think that's when Grosso first came into the UFC. But besides that, other than those two people... No one has has, has beaten Grasso. Grasso has looked very good. Her grappling, of course, is her ace in a hole. Her grappling is fucking phenomenal. And when you look at Arayo, yeah, they have very similar records in wins and losses. But when you look at level competition wise, Grasso has fought better levels of competition and, and has beaten better levels of competition. Um, you know, Grasso just came from a uh, I, I believe, a decision victory over Angela Lee. Um, and I, I believe a decision lost right before that to Caitlin Chikagian. So I think that if Grasso is able to get Arayu to the ground, definitely 100% she can win. I think even if... Of course, I think it wouldn't be smart for Grosso to strike with Ryo. I think Arayu is by far the better striker. So I think you know plan for this fight or the the... the, the the, uh, the game plan she should have for this fight is primarily grappling. Just utilize that grappling, have her against the cage, utilize the clinch, try to get her pointed down as quickly as possible and just keep her there. Or, tr- of course, try to get in submission because the submission game is very good. But all in all, I think that the the, the sports bettors in this one are correct and I think Grasso definitely deserves to be the uh, the favorite in this fight. And I have her winning. Now we have Swanson against Martinez. And uh, I just think Cub Swanson should retire, man. He's old for a division. Very old for a division. It just is not necessarily looking too good. Um, I know he came out of retirement not too long ago. I want to say a year or two ago. Hasn't really looked that good since. I, I... I, of course, I think he I think he fought better competition up until this point. Then Martinez, he's obviously the veteran out of the two of them. But I just think Swanson's a retire, man. I think Martinez is going to gonna get the better of him in this one. Then we have Astro against Rory Vell. This fight is the one that I'm most excited about on this card. And I'm shocked that Arayu and Grosso is the main event. Or even that Cup Swans is the co-main event. It really doesn't make any sense. But Astro against Rory Vell. And... I think it's easy to write off Askarov after that loss against Kaikara France. Askarov looked kind of... I mean, not Kaikara France. Excuse me. Um, Oh, God. Starts with, P, starts with a P. Starts with a P. Starts with a P. I'm blanking out on his name right now. He's Brazilian. Starts with a P. It will come back to me. Pantoja? Believe it's Pantoja. Believe it's Pantoja. Um, Sorry, guys. I'm terrible at names, but I'm pretty... I'm, I'm like... 90% sure is Pantoja but he didn't look his best in that fight he really really didn't look his best in that fight he looked a little off he was coming off of a very long layoff you know his usually his grappling offense and his takedown abilities are very 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 good it seemed a little lackluster in that fight um and I think that overall I had I think Ascroft is the better out of Val. Askarov is a 250 favorite. I do think I agree with that. Maybe it's a little high coming off the fact that he's coming off of a loss, um, but I, st- I still think that he should be 100 percent the favorite. I think he's the overall better fighter, and Royval doesn't have the best takedown defense in the world. I think that Askarov overall gets his done. But this is episode 24 of r six MMA talk to fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. God, freaking recording this episode was an absolute nightmare. I'm happy I got it through it with you guys. Happy I gave you guys some content. Um, But yeah, it was it was brutal trying to get this one up for you guys. It really was. I got to have that intestinal fortitude. But of course, you'll find me next week, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. If you want to follow me on Instagram, Noah underscore A underscore Petrie. On Twitter, Noah Period Petrie R6. And you can find me on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and all the other podcast platforms. I'm on all of them. We'll be on YouTube very, very soon with visuals as well. But guys, I hope you have a good weekend and enjoy those fights. Bye.